Hi, Andy. Hi, Victoria. Today, we are going to speak with someone whose beard is longer than yours. (laughs) (laughs) I I just want to encourage listeners who might want to peek at the video. (laughs) Uh, Seth Vidal, he is uh, an innovator, actually, in the funeral space. I think many people don't realize that there are options for how bodies are disposed of, some that are much more ecological and natural than conventional ones. And I'm looking forward to learning more about that. And in integrative medicine, we're always focused on the most natural and least invasive. And so I think this is a topic that uh, deserves to be spoken about on an integrative medicine podcast. Let's get them on. Seth Vidal is an entrepreneur, environmentalist, and an industry disruptor whose passion for holistic funeral practices has reshaped how we approach end-of-life care. He is the CEO of The Natural Funeral and the developer of Reverent Body Care, a death care process that engages families. He recently launched the inaugural Body Composting Conference in March of 2023. Welcome, Seth. Thank you, Victoria. It's great to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. We're going to be speaking about um, maybe a less familiar topic, um, which is green burials. So can you explain to our listeners what green burials are and also how you became interested? Sure. A green burial is the most simple way to return our bodies to the cycle of life from which we all arose. It is a burial that generally takes place in a grave that's more shallow than a conventional six-foot depth so that the plants and grasses in our topsoil can actually reach the nutrients that are in our bodies underground. It generally takes place in less merchandise, meaning uh, maybe not a casket, maybe a simple shroud. And in all cases, the body is unembalmed, so it's not chemically preserved, meaning that it can decompose at nature's time frame. And I became involved after being a a funeral consumer uh, and really not finding what was a meaningful uh, experience at the unexpected deaths of my mother and father and younger brother. Uh, I wanted to find a way to to connect back with nature. I think most people have no idea of how the conventional funeral industry has controlled uh, burial practices. Do you want to comment on that? I'd love to. Uh, About the time of the Civil War, when uh, young soldiers were dying, uh, maybe several days horseback ride from their hometown, the practice of embalming began. And it was originally cabinet makers turned casket makers who would go out onto a battlefield and use chemical preservatives, generally formaldehyde-based preservatives, in order that the bodies would survive a several-day horseback ride back to the town so that families could even see their young people again and then bury them. And as happens in this country, when we find something that we can commodify and that we can uh, productize, uh, we we don't let go of that very rapidly. And an entire industry was born. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was embalmed and taken around the country uh, uh, so that people could uh, see him and, and experience him. And 
that became a customary practice that uh, that really replaced a tradition that we've known about for tens of thousands of years, which is when a member of our family or clan or tribe dies, we grieve, we return their body to the cycle of life, and, and we understand our connection with nature. Is it true that the funeral industry has successfully lobbied to make uh, uh, unconventional burial practices illegal? Somewhat so. Uh, there are generally ways that folks can have some style of green burial. Um, uh, we call it shades of green. Uh, some some rules are are law based. Some rules are local regulations, but most rules have to do with the cemeteries themselves, who have put in place a rule that says, for example, a vault must be used around a casket, and uh, that vault is generally for the purpose of not allowing the ground to cave or settle as the body and casket naturally decomposes. It allows that nice flat surface for a lawn that is watered and manicured and, and mowed uh, to, to main its pristine surface. Uh, but it doesn't really serve a practical purpose, and it certainly obstructs our contact with the ground. And vaults and caskets are quite expensive. Well, of course they are. And uh, they, they can range from a, a few thousand dollars up into the tens of thousands of dollars, Andy. One of the reasons I know that vaults are used, for example, in California is because earthquakes have sometimes disrupted cemeteries. And uh, if people are attached to a burial site, you may not actually know where your loved one was buried anymore as the ground shifts and um, people's remains move around. <laughs> um, sometimes I think um, my understanding with green burial, there may not actually be a a site marker. It, it it may really be a return to nature where an acknowledgement that, you know, maybe this general vicinity, but not a, a very specific piece of, let's use the, the words I've heard used, real estate. That's right. Uh, a headstone is a traditional way that we've come to mark our, our grave sites in this uh, country and in many countries. Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of serving a family at a beautiful Aspen Grove, which is on their private property, and we dug a grave there, and the matriarch of the family was returned to the earth naturally, and the way that we marked that is that the local sheriff came out, and he marked with his phone the GPS coordinates, and so the the marker in perpetuity is not something that is physical, but it's an information piece, which will be recorded on the property deed that says that this GPS coordinate this person was buried on this day. Can you tell us about the different types of natural funerals? Uh, I'm lucky to be with a group called the Natural Funeral that tries to afford families the option to return their body to the earth in the way that they choose, not the way that we choose. And that, that means there's a pretty broad uh, menu of options that we offer to families. Those are, of course, green burial and we provide conventional flame cremation. It's the most affordable, uh, rapid, uh, safe, and effective form of disposition that the majority of people in the country now turn to. About 60% of American consumers choose to be cremated. 
But on the rising trend are some ecological options. One of them is called alkaline hydrolysis or water cremation. And that's where a body is placed in uh, a tub with a small amount of water and alkaline compounds. And over about three to four hours, the soft tissue and the organs of the body are converted into a liquid form. And that liquid form is something that we neutralize. And of course, it's a sterile uh, liquid at the conclusion of the process. We neutralize it. And then it's a nutrient-dense liquid that can be offered back to the earth. Another new and emerging technology is called terramation or body composting. And that is a two to four month process where the body is surrounded by wood chips, straw, and alfalfa, and the natural process of composting or decomposition occurs, and the body is returned to the family in the form of a living soil. Uh, you match that with private land burials, uh, even open pyre cremations that we offer on private land, and there really is uh, qu quite a lot for a consumer to choose from. I first heard about human composting, I don't know, maybe uh, five or six years ago. And I told my children, when I die, I want composting. <laughs> Andy, have you thought about how you would like to have your remains taken care of? Yeah, I had uh, sort of reflexively put down cremation. Uh -huh. But the more I thought about it, uh, body composting appeals to me much more. And I'd like to hear what Seth has to say about the ecological consequences of cremation. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's an amazing reason that people are shifting their perspectives. So a flame cremation consumes uh, quite a bit of natural gas in the 90 to 120 minute process. Uh, two flames operate at about uh, 1800 degrees Fahrenheit, which consumes about the amount of natural gas that it would take to power a vehicle on a five to 600 mile trip. And in addition to that, the body, which uh, contains some spectacular uh, nutrients, uh, is simply consumed and converted to a gas sent out a smokestack. And, and you, as you can imagine, that creates pollution. By comparison, the process of terramation uses very little energy, and it's in a closed system that produces no emissions or pollution. And when we combine the body with wood chip, straw, and alfalfa, and we create a soil out of the body, then what we're doing is we're sequestering carbon and uh, we're, we're creating something that is, is actually a net benefit to the earth. So if I opt for terramation and I die in Arizona, can I do that here? Not yet in Arizona. There are seven states where terramation is currently legal, but it's only practiced in two. There are three operators in Washington state, and then the natural funeral we operate here in uh, Colorado. But we hope that that's going to grow. And in fact, we want to be a part of the change that begins to, to make this more accessible to people in, in greater locations. Well, in other locations, can you ship the body to a place where that can be done? You can. And arguably, that negates some of the good yeah. 
from uh, your environmental uh, intentions when you put the body on a plane. But if you consider that that plane was probably already going to make that journey, and uh, I can share with you, we do this as a matter of routine, about 15 to 20% of our clients come to us from other states because they long for a way to uh, be returned to the earth in a meaningful way. And this just resonates with them in a way that uh, their options in their local communities don't yet. So I understand that terramation is not broadly available, but um, what about the green burial? One of my friends uh, just uh, had uh, the loss of her husband uh, in New York, and they did a green burial, and they found a place that was um, alongside a park. And one of the things she spoke to was the pacing, the slower pacing, the kind of gentle nature of the whole experience. And um, I, I just have a little bit of a visceral reaction of cremation being a kind of violent process, um, whereas um I, I react very differently to the idea of a green burial. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, describe a little bit of this scenario that I was telling you about. I participated in a green burial yesterday. And in that process, I got to be with five of the other family members who helped me to carry a woven seagrass casket mm-hmm. that they had decorated and that they mm-hmm. put mementos uh, mm-hmm. inside of the casket. And together, the six of us very slowly marched mm-hmm. after we synchronized our breath to the side mm-hmm. of the grave. Yeah. And then we used a natural rope to slide the casket over some natural boards that covered the grave. Mm-hmm. And then we synchronized our breath again. And on each inhale, we steadied ourselves and paused. And then on each exhale, we lowered in unison, one hand length. Mm -hmm. Then we inhaled again, steadied ourselves, and then on an exhale, lowered one hand length. And that tactile, Mm -hmm. that participatory action is so meaningful to families. And Mm -hmm. I can watch it on their expressions as we're lowering their loved one's body. And I can even feel it, Victoria, through the rope, Mm -hmm. how meaningful it is when we're connected in that way. Yeah, Victoria, what is your visceral reaction to alkaline hydrolysis? It also sounds a bit violent. I have to say, I like the wood trip and alfalfa. Mm -hmm. And I... I mean, I know that this is all emotional reactivity, and some of it comes from having read a book um, many years ago called Stiff by Mary Roach. And in Stiff, uh, Mary Roach describes the decomposition of the body in various circumstances. I have images in my brain I'd rather not have. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I think that, um, again, the wood chip and alfalfa, I also have had the experience of um, having that kind of um, experience alive because in California, there are places you can go and it's a form of sauna uh, where you go and you're buried in wood chips up to your neck and, you know, you stay for an hour or two. And um, so it feels almost somewhat familiar. How wonderful. What a a great experience. I haven't ever uh, had uh, an experience where I've been personally Mm -hmm. buried but I have been able to put my hands into the fresh soil, mm-hmm. which is nearing the conclusion of the process. And you feel the warmth 
of the biological activity that's occurring in the process of decomposition. And you get the, the dirt under your fingernails and you really genuinely feel your connection with all living things. Now, people get anxious about certain things. So I would love to hear your response. But, you know, one of the things people get anxious about is if you're burying someone in a shallow grave, could someone be unburied? You know, like I live in Arizona, we have coyotes and bobcat, you know, they perhaps could uh, catch my scent, you know, and <laughs> unbury me. Uh, this idea of an animal walking around, you know, with a with a body part. Um, how do you address uh, these kinds of concerns? Sure. Well, uh, for one thing, we just follow proper techniques, which suggest that we would want to bury a body at at least three feet deep. Mm -hmm. And it's for that exact reason, Victoria. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we would uh, discuss a lot with the family as right. we're describing the green burial. But for uh, for good reason, we bury the body at three feet deep. And then oftentimes, if there is suspected that there would be uh, animal activity, we might cover the grave with rocks, mm -hmm. even if that's just temporarily while mm -hmm. the initial decomposition occurs. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that just looking in on the grave from time to time periodically, especially in those first few weeks, mm -hmm. would allow us to know if there was any sort of uh, animal or or people activity that was disruptive. And mm -hmm. I'm really glad to report that it's not something I've ever encountered. And in, mm -hmm. uh, in the several years I've been doing this, having done a few hundred green burials, it's just, it's not something that's ever uh, occurred. Mm -hmm. What about uh, cemeteries? You know, they take up a lot of real estate and as more and more people die, what are we going to do? Are you going to run out of space for burials? Well, one school of thought is uh, is that we might in major urban centers. But if you look at the Midwest in some of the less densely populated parts of the country, the odds are really not that we're going to run out of space as much as uh, we just don't feel connected with the way mm -hmm. that we used to in a certain geography. Uh, for example, in, in the several generations before me in my family all lived and died in the same hometown. And I was one of nine children and very mm -hmm. few of us stayed in the same hometown. We've become more nomadic, more globally based. And so having an anchor spot that we come back to has really become less significant than understanding our connection with all things. A part of my funeral service was informed by having buried my own parents. And uh, I, I was adopted when I was 10 years old by a Mescalero Apache man who became my father and connected me with nature in a really beautiful way. And in about a three-year time span, we buried my father, my younger brother and my mother. And we put them all in the same baby blue casket with the same crepe paper and the same embalming and the same burial. And they were radically different people, beautifully different people. But when we went to the funeral home, we were offered a menu and we just picked what was easy. And people are not wanting that choice anymore. They're wanting something that connects with their values. Andy, uh, I want to ask you whether you think that the growing interest in green burial is 
um, consistent with people's growing concern about environmental issues, pollutants, um, maybe even changing attitudes towards death in our country. I hope so. Um, I, I I don't know how much is driven by ecological concerns, but I think the conversations around death and dying are very healthy in our society. You know, we're teaching some of that in our uh, fellowship curriculum. And uh, I think that this should be part of it also to make people aware of the options that are out there. When I was in medical school, my father's mother died. And I remember going to uh, a funeral home and had to look at the selection of caskets. Mm -hmm. And it was a horrifying experience. I remember this salesman who was like a car salesman. Mm -hmm. And he showed me a model of a casket that the upper half lid on the inside had a full-size photograph. Uh, and there were choices. This was called the sportsman model. Mm -hmm. One was a golf fairway. One was a sailboat. And when you close the lid, a light went on to illuminate the photograph. I mean, wow. that's that's pretty awful. Wow. And it was very expensive. I've I've heard horror stories of people being in those selection showrooms. And of course, you start with the 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 lower end model right. before you get to the really ornate uh, model and the question somewhere along the way is how much did you love your person exactly you're I, made to feel bad if you select the the cheap model right right I I, I want to share about something that uh, we're able to connect with families well before we're even having the conversation about how their body is going to be returned to the earth. And it's something that we do called reverent body care, and it is participatory with families. And as a funeral home operator, if I'm going to separate someone from their hard-earned money in service to a death that has occurred, well, I want it to really connect with a value that we're delivering to that family. And what I've found is that inviting families to participate in the care of their loved ones, meaning actually combing the hair of their mother, washing the feet of their father or spouse provides a service to that family. And it's that tactile, visceral connection that you don't get if you outsource that to someone else. And along the way, when I reflect on what was missing when I buried my parents and younger brother, it's that I wasn't a part of serving them. I wasn't connected with returning their bodies to the earth. And inviting families to do that is maybe the single most profound mm. gift that we offer to people. Mm. Yeah, that's a really um, beautiful, but I think not always easy thing for people to participate in washing the body of the person who has died and participating at that level. Um, I, I want to go back to the more uh, profane, which is Andy was just describing the salesman tactics of uh, buying a casket. But I think people may want to know how expensive is it to have this kind of burial and how does it compare to the cost of a more typical burial in a cemetery? Sure. The average cost of a burial in this country is $9,420. And that is exclusive of the plot or the real yeah. estate where yeah. the body is buried. But that would be for the service, generally for embalming, for a casket and a vault. Mm -hmm. And um, caskets that 
are used in conventional burial can range from a couple of thousand up to $50,000. And vaults can range, again, from a couple of thousand up to about $45,000. In a natural burial, generally, a very simple casket or no casket at all is used. At our funeral home, our caskets are one price. They're $1,500. They're made about 20 miles from our funeral home. And they're made out of uh, beetle kill pine, which is a standing pine wood in forests, mm -hmm. which needs to be harvested to prevent mm -hmm. uh, fires right. uh, uh, from ravaging the forest. So uh, we there are ways to do this without over uh, commodifying the, the task at hand. But as you can see with those prices, sometimes in the tens of thousands of dollars, things can get very expensive very quickly. Yeah. And can you also share the cost of a cremation in the United States? Yes. Uh, the average cost of a cremation is around $6,000 with a funeral service and a, a visitation of some sort. And then generally a very simple casket, although sometimes people do spend quite a bit on a casket only to cremate it. And um, uh, I, while we're here, I'll touch on the cost for alkaline hydrolysis, okay. which is $3,900 at our funeral home and terramation, which is $7,900 at our funeral home. Mm-hmm. One of the services uh, that I understand that you provide, uh, you call a, a death midwife. I'm wondering if that's the same as a death doula or what is the role of the, the death midwife? It is uh, the same. Uh, a, a death midwife or a death doula could be used mm -hmm. interchangeably. I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's sensibilities who might <laughs> define those differently. Uh -huh. But uh, their job is really a holistic uh, care of a person on the last leg of their journey mm -hmm. while their soul and spirit is connected to their body. Mm -hmm. And uh, they generally uh, tackle tasks like forgiveness and um, spiritual reconciliation, often trauma that a person is is dealing with so that they can have what might be considered a good death, mm -hmm. having resolved some issues of mind, body, and spirit that are not yet harmonized. A beautiful death midwife um, will generally look at a whole person and even into the family uh, characteristics and, and help bridge conversations and, mm -hmm. uh, and really bring closure and peace to areas that, that might be unresolved. How often do you run into problems of family members disagreeing over the method of disposal of the body? Well, as often as there are families, uh -huh. you know, we we uh, we can run into that. But generally, families are are able to work through this. And in every state, there is a right to control the disposition, which has a hierarchy. And so there actually is a chain of command, if you will, in that decision-making process that we can resort to as a matter of, of last resort. But ordinarily, families are able to find something that, that is meaningful, uh, that, that connects with all the members. And occasionally, you're right, we, we do need to default to something that one person who's holding out, perhaps a traditionalist uh, that, that can't quite see to honor even the wishes of the person who has died. 
they might uh, undermine a family plan. Is there something that you'd say, wow, this is the one important thing they did not bring up? Well, um, I simply love talking about reverent body care. Mm-hmm. And um, I say that because it, it's the missing piece in mm-hmm. the death care that was available to me when uh, mm-hmm. when I was a consumer. Yeah. And um, there's something that's really special about inviting a family mm-hmm. to come alongside us in a very safe container mm-hmm. where uh, experience is not required, mm-hmm. where we are anchoring into our tens of thousands of years of human to human care mm-hmm. and and knowing what to do when one of our loved ones has fallen. It's radically different to be offered a comb and a bowl of warm water with some essential oils in the water and invited to comb your loved one's hair than a funeral director asking for a picture of a parent so that they know what side to part their hair on or yeah. asking <laughs> for a picture of a loved one and saying, did your did your dad wear their glasses only when they were reading or did they wear right. them all the time? When you're placing the glasses on your your father's face, there is something that is profoundly available to you in understanding your place in the cycle of life and your connectedness with all living and breathing things that is simply unavailable when you're not offered that opportunity. How can people find out more about natural funerals and the options that are there? Thank you. Uh, our website, thenaturalfuneral.com, is a great resource for that. There are organizations in almost every state, which are funeral consumers alliances. And if you're looking to advocate for change or to bring these new technologies to your area, connect with a local funeral consumers alliance. And then lastly, I would say the National Home Funeral Alliance, which advocates for families to participate in the care of their loved ones. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, expertise and your wisdom about this. I think uh, very important, but maybe not widely discussed topic. So we appreciate you being a guest on uh, Body of Wonder, and we appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks, Andy. <laughs>